it's hard. And yeah. It makes it difficult to receive everything that we can receive. And, you know, that resonates with me too. It's hard to, once you start this comparison mode, it is hard to be able to um, feel whole and not broken and also to be able to receive, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, radiance, divinity, um, you know, higher power energy, blessings. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hey, Los. I just wanted to touch base before we started this week's episode. Uh, This week's episode was recorded uh, a few days ago after the Atlanta killings, but before I got word of the most recent uh, attack on the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Uh, Yesterday, I learned about an attack on a 65-year-old Filipina woman who was walking to church um, in Midtown Manhattan. She was kicked down. She was taken, attacked from behind um, and kicked down, kicked repeatedly in the head and the body, uh, beaten. And the attacker said to her, F you, um, you don't belong here. And this was in broad daylight in New York City. And the thing that is most disturbing about this is that the camera footage from the building in front of which this attack took place shows some, what I presume to be building security. Um, I later found out that this was a in front of a luxury apartment building. And so the folks in there uh, were indeed building security and they just watched. They watched the whole attack happen They didn't move to try to scare the attacker away to interrupt the attack. Um, They just stood there and watched. And that isn't even the worst of it. Um, As I continue to watch this video, which by the way, just happened accidentally. It uh, it just auto-played on my feed. I wasn't even aware that something like this had happened and then it just started playing and I was saying to myself what am I looking at what am I looking at and then I saw what I was what I was seeing Um, but by the end of the video after the attacker flees the scene and this woman who could be my mother who could have been my Lola you know because my Lola would walk to mass not not here in the states but in back home in the Philippines she would walk to mass every day from her house and um, that could have been, you know, my mother or, or, or my Lola. Um, and as she lay down on the sidewalk, uh, having been beaten in excruciating pain, these people, these security people, so-called security people, uh, one of them goes over to the door and closes the glass door on her. Doesn't offer to help, nothing. And the inhumanity of that is so astounding 
And the fact that the doors were made of glass, even more so. Because it's one thing to close the door and say it's a solid door, to look away, to not want to be part of it, to deny the existence of that happening. But to close a glass door takes some level of inhumanity that I can't even register. Because you are closing the door with that gesture, you are saying, I am not part of this. But the, the glass is still there. You can still see this woman who is clearly not in good shape. And so I wanted to just take a moment here to acknowledge this incident, this, this thing that has happened that, that feels so much closer to me, to my personal existence as a Filipina. And, um, and just have folks really consider what is going on in the world. What is going on in this country? What is happening to the AAPI community? Because there is too much looking away. There is too much emphasis on this, this idea of invisibility. We are not invisible. And if you continue to look away, you will be sorry. I don't mean to threaten. <laughs> this is just me being frustrated and angry and really calling on people to take action. I am tired of people closing their version of the glass door on me, on this phenomena, this rise in anti-Asian sentiment, in pretending that that isn't there, that's unacceptable. You need to do something about it, whether that's donating some money to various organizations that are working in social justice, in supporting those who are attacked, in supporting, you know, amplify, amplifying Asian American voices. But if you don't have the means to do that, you can call out people. You can say, hey, that is not a funny joke. Hey, that actually means something. Hey, that's racist. And yeah, you know what? If you're white and you think that calling out racism is scary, think about what people of color live through every day as they are the recipients of that. So for you to speak out is the least you can do. So without further ado, <laughs> um, I will have you play or listen to the next um, episode and really think about what Isabel, my guest today, and I are talking about with regard to how we cope with things like this, with hurt against our community. Um, and hopefully we can bring more awareness into the fact that we are human, that we feel things, that we also hurt, but we also have joy. And so in humanizing us and creating awareness in that, then maybe we all can work towards change into transmuting that hate into love. And I know that sounds ideal, 
you know, but it's, it's, it's a goal. It's a dream. And if you can dream it, that means it's inevitable. It's, it exists somewhere down the future. Maybe it's not tomorrow. You know, maybe it's not even in my lifetime. But the fact that it can enter my imagination already is evidence that it exists somewhere on the timeline. And so I invite you, my dear listeners, to really sit with yourself and ask yourself, what is my role in this? Am I going to do something or am I going to sit here and be comfortable? Am I going to, if you're AAPI identified, Am I going to sit quietly and stew in my pain and not let it out? Or am I going to reach out to folks who I know can support me, to hold space for me, to help me feel safe and seen and heard? Um, I'm going to put some resources in the show notes. So for, you know, all the things that I'm calling on for you guys to do to take action, you can find links to various resources in the show notes. So please head over there um, and uh, on to our episode with Isabel Garcia Gonzalez. All right. Hello, loves. Welcome to another episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? I hope wherever you are that you are able to take a breath to really be present in that breath and find beauty in that moment of peace. Okay, so today I have a very special guest, a beautiful person who I've known for a long time, but we haven't actually seen each other <laughs> in a good chunk of time. But um, I want to welcome to the show uh, a very awesome woman who is doing some amazing things with comics, which I am so enjoying. Um, I'm going to share, I'm going to share her handle, her Instagram handle at, on the show notes. So you guys can check out what she's doing. She's got some great stuff, but I know her as a fiction writer. So um, it's really wonderful for me to welcome Isabel Garcia Gonzalez. Thank, Thank you so you much so for much. coming. I'm so Thanks glad. Having me. Yeah. I'm so glad we got to connect. Um, and, and I know that uh, for those listening, we have, um, we, we almost live like parallel lives. Like our oldest daughters are basically the same age. I think they're only like a few days apart yep. <laughs> and um, you know, we're struggling. Not, I don't want to say struggling, you know, I don't want to put, we words. have struggled in the past. I was thinking we're wrestling with three kids. <laughs> we'll say wrestling instead of struggling. Um, and, you know, while doing the mom thing and the, and the job thing and the writer thing. And so yeah. um, it's just really great to, to connect with you here. I'm so, I'm so excited. So I'm going to see what our conversation holds, but first let's open our episode, our conversation with the gift by Hafez and see what Hafez will share with us and maybe start us off with our talk. Um, oh, that's too long. I, <laughs> I never do that on the show. I always just go with whatever's, whatever comes out, but that one was like three pages. I was like, oh. no, 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 we're not going to go that one. All right, let's try again. Okay, here we go. I like this one. All right. It's called, why aren't we screaming drunks? Why aren't we screaming drunks? Okay. The sun once glimpsed God's true nature and has never been the same. Thus, that radiant sphere constantly pours its energy upon this earth, as does he from behind the veil. With a wonderful God like that, why isn't everyone a screaming drunk? 
Hafez's guess is this. Any thought you are better or less than another man quickly breaks the wine glass. All right, I think I have to read that again. Yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to wrap my head around that. I was like, what did I just read? <laughs> okay, why aren't we screaming drunks? The sun once glimpsed, glimpsed God's true nature and has never been the same. Thus, that radiant sphere constantly pours its energy upon the earth as does he from behind the veil. With a wonderful God like that, why isn't everyone a screaming drunk? Hafez's guess is this. Any thought that you are better or less than another man quickly breaks the wine glass. Mm. Or woman, we'll put woman in there. Any thought that you are better or less than another woman quickly breaks the wine glass. Mm. So what, what is... Um, what kind of message is coming forth for you in this poem? Uh, I what do you thinking, notice? Yeah, go ahead. I was thinking about the broken wine glass and like of it being a vessel, us being vessels who could have the potential to receive this incredible radiant light or whatever it was at the beginning that was yeah. rained down upon us. But we do these human things of comparing ourselves to other people. And so our vessels are sort of broken and can't hold all of the, I don't know, all of the amazing things coming, raining down on us is kind of what I gathered yeah. from that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's almost like the the sun and the radiance, the, the word is radiant sphere, right? So it's pouring its energy and it's not fair because I have the poem in front of me, so it's not fair for you, but, um, but it almost feels like the wine glass can't quite contain all of that awesomeness. But the, the, the part of the poem that I think is interesting is any thought that you're better or less than another woman quickly breaks the wine glass. So comparison is really the thing that um, prevents us from drinking, to continue Hafez's metaphor, drinking the goodness of the divine. Um, and so I think, I think this poem is interesting for it to come forward because there's a lot of, for just to extend the metaphor, um, glass breaking in the world today, where mm. it's not necessarily comparison as it is, let's point out differences, you know, like we are not um, the same, you know, we have different skin color, we have different genders, we have different shapes, like fat, thin, you know, all these kinds of things. And a lot of our society focuses on these physical attributes so that now the, um, the vessels that we are, as you said, are cracked, you know, they're not able to, to hold the divinity that is coming mm -hmm. down on us while we're also divine as well. So I don't know. I don't know if anything's coming forward for you on that. But, um, but that's what I, that's how I'm kind of seeing things as. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. We, I think I have something, you know, similar as I expressed before. It's more, yeah, that there's the potential to, to get all that. But when we get into this like comparison, it's hard. And yeah. it makes it difficult to receive everything that we can receive. And, you know, that resonates with me too. It's hard to, once you start this comparison mode, it is hard to be able to um, feel whole and not broken and also to be able to receive 
um, you know, whatever you want to call it, radiance, divinity, um, you know, higher blessings. power, energy, yeah. blessings. Yeah. 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 Any of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, this, this brings me to the, the conversation um, that I want to talk about, which is one of the reasons why I reached out to you is, you know, the, the, the murders of the six Asian women in Atlanta has been very much in the forefront of my mind um, as an Asian American woman. And, um, and it's been an interesting, um, for me, it's been interesting to pay attention to the different responses that have been happening, the silences that have been happening um, from certain communities. And I wanted to just ask you, what have you been noticing as far as um, the responses in your life, whether it's communities that you're involved in or communities that are in proximity to your own, what have you been seeing? Um, I don't wanna call it like a comparison thing, but more this observation of difference and how, is, how, is, how are the differences in people and how they identify culturally or, or racially or whatever it is, how are those factors playing into any kind of response to what has happened in, in Atlanta? Mm -hmm. Well, in the last, you know, since how long has it been? Like maybe a week or so? A little over a week, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that my attention has not really, has been like really, inwardly focused with my own um, local Asian American community and my own family. So mm -hmm. I haven't really been paying that much attention to outward silences as mm -hmm. much as noticing um, actually more, um, more activation and more voices being mm -hmm. amplified within my own local API community, um, which is a community that I have been, um, you know, I've only, I've, I've lived for about 20 years in the Bay Area where, you know, there's a super strong and very, um, a lot of Asian American AAPI folks there. There's not as many here. I'm in Oak Park, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Um, so uh, I'm, I've been involved, like one of the first things that we did when we moved here was to like, where are the other Asian American folks? So we connected um, and that's been really wonderful. Um, and I feel like it's been, um, I haven't connected like broadly, like there's certain folks that over and over we connect with who we're close to or that I'm in my Asian American Writers Collective with. Um, but I feel like once, um, you know, there, there has been an, an increase in anti-Asian violence lately. I think that the community here has become very um, activated and wanting to connect in ways that maybe they didn't before. Mm. Um, so it was interesting because we had already, there was already a pre-planned community check-in for um, Wednesday, which I think was the day after the shootings because mm -hmm. of the increase in violence. And it was um, organized by a couple people, in, um, a couple friends of mine here in our community. And you know, had, we had tried to make it happen earlier and not that many people came, but I think because of Atlanta, a lot more people came and yeah. I was there. And I really heard a lot of people say that they felt isolated. Mm. 
Mm. And that it was the first time that in a virtual space, they were in a space with only other Asian American folks, which for me is not new, but for a lot of them was really new and powerful. Mm. And I really um, was surprised at like how much people really needed that community. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so a lot has happened since then. We had an in-person gathering and more people came and then um, some young people in our community organized a vigil yesterday. So there's just like so much momentum and connection happening right now that I think unfortunately wouldn't have happened if, um, you know, there weren't these killings in Atlanta that were so, you know, so intense that really drove people to want to come together. Um, But yeah, I think it's, and, you know, I've been really struck by how um, so much of this is being led, not just by Asian American women, but Asian American young women, like high school students in Mm. my area. So that's been like fantastic to just be a supporter of and let them lead, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really amazing. It's also interesting that you're you're mentioning that it's it's the high school students that are that are sort of leading the way. Um, because recently, I was talking to my own students who are who are college age about their generation. You know, Generation Z seems to be this this population of of young people who are about taking the leadership role even if they are so young, they don't care. They're like, you know what, we need to see change and we demand it and we're gonna do something about it. And I'm so heartened by that. At the same time, I feel old, but (laughs) you know, what are you gonna do? It's gonna happen eventually, right? Um, But I really love hearing about how things are are gelling for for your community, because I think that's very true in that, now being, I mean, I'm going to talk and I'm going to preempt this by just saying in general, this, for this conversation, I may be talking, I may talk in broad general strokes, but that's, I mean, these are some ways in which we need to talk so that we can actually get somewhere with conversations. But I feel that, um, you know, being Asian American in this country is like very, very nuanced, very layered, very complex, and it's not a one size fits all. Um, And so there are some who feel like I'm just going to hang out in my own little bubble and just quietly suffer, you know, and, and just get by and do whatever I need to do to survive. Um, I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not, you know, all those activist people, they can do their thing, but that's not what I do. You know, I just keep my head down and I do my job and, you know, do whatever I need to do to, to live this quiet life. And, um, and then there's folks like us who are like, you know, we want you to hear us and we're going to demand justice and, um, and be more active. And so you describing that the more people co- sort of coming out of the woodwork for this, I feel to me is so heartening because no one realizes how isolated they are until they know something else. And so for me, that was real. that's really great to hear, even though uh, it's so funny when you said, I don't really pay attention to what's going on outside. I'm like, cool, you know, because the change really happens at the local level. It happens on a personal one-on-one level. Um, and so that gets me excited because I don't have that kind of community where I live. Um, and I'm sort of like, oh, 
kind of isolated myself. <laughs> so I might have to join your community virtually. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but it is so. powerful. But it is powerful to come together with with folks that look like you, that whose names sound like yours. You know, it's just there's just something really, really potent about it. Um, but I, I wanted to shift a little bit to the conversations that you're having with family. You know, I mentioned earlier that our daughters, our oldest daughters are around the same age. So I wanted to find out from you, like, what kinds of conversations have you been having um, about what's go- going on with Asian Americans, not even just in Atlanta, but just in the, the rise in, in violence against Asian Americans in this country? Mm-hmm. You know, I've been having a lot of really nuanced, um, really just wonderful conversations. I mean, hard, but like wonderful in the fact that we, the conversations can be complex now. You know, she's 15 years old. And I think that because this isn't new for her, like we talk about things all the time. We talk about race and ethnicity and social justice and what's going on in the world, like since they were babies, right? So this type of thing isn't new for them, but um, I think for my daughter, the Atlanta shootings specifically hit a certain, you know, very personal, Mm -hmm. um, even more personal note as an Asian American young woman, you know, Mm -hmm. who, you know, we talk about like, what is it like to walk around in the world in our bodies these days? you know, and how do our bodies get read and get treated? And how do other people's bodies get read and get treated too? Um, And so we've been talking a lot about that, about, um, you know, what are the, I think that one thing that she's learning a lot about now um, with the Atlanta um, shootings is um, just the hypersexualization of Asian Mm. women and like the whole, whole you know we've been talking also about like imperialism and you know how Asian women in you know Asian countries have been hypersexualized by outsider you know whether it be like military or whomever you know that that what happened in Atlanta isn't something that just like came out of nowhere it has historical roots that are real and that has have contribute to what's happening now. It's all connected. I think that's what we've yeah. been talking a lot about is just like how all of this is connected to, you know, white supremacy and, you know, connected to imperialism, to misogyny and all of these things. It's not just like, oh, this one bad thing happened, yeah. but to like look at a larger context of history in our world. So that's been um, pretty amazing to have those kinds of conversations. And at the same time, like you know, it's, it's hard. You're 15. And at the same time, I think about, you know, she's on social media. There's a lot that she's sifting through a lot of information that she's sifting through to try to understand. And so um, my instinct is to just try to like get ahead of some of that stuff to give her some context as she reads through all of these things. So we talked about it like, right away on Wednesday morning and then throughout the day. Um, So I think it's, um, I'm glad that she's open to talking to me. Like I think about when I was 15, like 
I didn't really talk to my mom about stuff. I didn't really want to go deep about our identities and stuff. Right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And I think, and I think that's the difference, um, in how we were raised versus how we're raising our daughters. Um, your conversation sounds so much more complex and nuanced than mine do, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, more power to you. I mean, that's, that's really amazing. Um, so, you know, in thinking about this moment for Asian American communities and Asian American women, um, how is that coming forward in you, in what you're creating in your creative work? You know, cause right now you're, I mean, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about this, this comic project that you're doing. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. And, and just, you know, how the larger world is coming into these small, like snapshots of, of your life? Yeah. So I, um, I'm calling them my fledgling comics because I'm not like a visual trained visual artist. I haven't studied comics or anything. Um, but during the pandemic, I've been spending a lot of time with my kids and my youngest kid loves to make comics. So one day I sat next to him and started making comics and I just like somehow got hooked. And so comics for me, I think, allows me to release some of the kind of more perfectionist um, perfectionist um, inclinations that I might have with writing fiction or doing it really anything else because I give up on the like, oh, I'm not trained in this. I can just like try and do whatever, whatever comes out. Coupled with, I'm also doing this thing called the 100 Day Project. So I've committed to doing at least five minutes on an index card. So it's very simple, just an index card and a black felt tip pen. And I just have to do that once a day. So because of that regular repetition, um, a lot of, I'm just like processing my life through it, which has Mm. been pretty cool. Um, It feels really different than processing things just like by journaling or writing just with words. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, adds this layer of um, images, but also like kind of really helps me go directly to either the memory or the feeling of something more so by spending some time with images and just the act of drawing and setting aside time and and having the sense of completion after a few minutes, like, oh, this thing is done because it's just a little index card. Um, has been great. So lately, yeah, I have been like processing what's been going on, both like my conversations with my daughter and what's happening in our communities. Um, and you're seeing that and every day I'm putting one on Instagram. Yeah. So yeah. it was really yeah. scary at first <laughs> to do that. Yeah. But, but now you're like, oh, I'm a pro at this stuff now. <laughs> no, exactly not. That's why it's so good. It's like, I am, I'm not feeling like I'm a pro. And I think that's, that's really freeing is to be like, you know, I'm just doing this thing. I'm going to put it out there and yeah, that's it. Yeah. And it's fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's, it's probably like one of the more truer things you can do because you're not attached to it. At least that's how I'm seeing it. Like, you're like, I'm doing this project. I'm going to do it. And you know, I got my gratification because it's complete in five minutes. Um, 
but it doesn't give you time to think about it and analyze it. You know what I mean? And so that's why I feel like that these, these comics, um, for me, I love them because they, they feel so, like there's so much truth in them, even though it only took you five minutes to put it together. You know, even though it's only a little snapshot of what, whatever larger truth that you're, that you're living. Um, and so I appreciate that. And I love the practice of it too. Um, do you find with the, with the practice, what day are you on now? Uh, I think I just posted 54. Okay. Oh, so you're over halfway. That's I'm over exciting. halfway. Yeah. So how, how has the practice of it been feeling in terms of not even like the processing and the creating, but just having to show up for something every day? What's that like? Um, I don't know. It just feels, uh, it, it has brought a lot of playfulness, playfulness into my life, which, uh, was difficult sometimes like just slogging through this novel that has very like heavy, deep kind of sorrowful sometimes, Mm. um, feelings about it. And what I like about the comics is that it can be sorrowful or heavy or deep, but at the same time, I still feel playful and, and Mm. kind of joyful about it. It's this really interesting mix. And sometimes I'm doing something different with the index card. So like maybe you've seen me do like fold the index card into this like super tiny zine and like make a little book out of it. And that to me is like really playful and joyful. I made that bye-bye in like spinner thing. Yeah, that was cool. (laughs) Which like I never would have thought to do that, but it was super fun because I'm like limited to an index card. What can I do with an index card? I can draw on it, I can write on it, but hey, I can cut it out and make this spinner or fold it into a book. So it's been fun is what I can say about it. Yeah, and now has any of that stuff transferred over into the work that you're doing on your novel? I um, I started to put some illustrations into the novel, but right now I decided that I'm putting the novel project right now aside because um, I'm really into doing this, these comics. And yeah. so I'm, I'm focusing more on that. And also I'm following the energy of it because lately the energy of the novel has been like the opposite of like attracting me and being playful, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. rather than like struggling through it, I thought I'm just gonna put it aside for a while and just go with this energy that I'm feeling about playfulness. And also like, it's been interesting because the comics pretty much draw from my life. Mm. And the novel is fiction. Some parts of it may connect with my life or themes from my life or experiences, but it's like made up, right? But um, there's something that has been pretty cool for me to look back on my life or look at my life right now and sort of document it. Yeah. Um, And lately I've been thinking about that even more. So we hosted this, um, I mentioned earlier, after the virtual check-in, we hosted a community gathering for anybody who wanted to come from our local Asian American community. And that's when these high school students showed up. Mm. And, um, and we opened it for anybody. We had like a, a mic set up in the park. We opened it up for anyone and the high school students came and they wanted to tell their stories. Mm. Um, but one thing that uh, one of them said, like really just 
struck me and I've been carrying that with me. And that was, she said, um, until today, I didn't know you all were existed, like that you mm-hmm. were a group, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, most of the people on that group, it's organized through Facebook, most of the people are like my age ish, like maybe parents and stuff. So there's like a, an age difference, right? So she's, she said, I didn't even know that you existed. So I'm glad at least now that you, I know that you're here. Yeah. And then what she said was that struck me was, we need to hear your stories and you mm. need to hear ours. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh my God, that's true. Like, yeah. you know, sometimes I kind of minimize the things that I've gone through or done, but you know, maybe for a high school student who's organizing, it might be cool for her to hear about like stuff I did in the nineties and the early two thousands as like a young Asian American woman trying to find my way, you know? So I've been, my, I've been thinking a lot back to that time and sort of writing and drawing about it too. Oh, that's so great. And what she said is amazing because it, it reminds me and something you just said was like, we, we sort of take our own personal experiences for granted because we're just like, Oh, that just happened. You know, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Racism. Yeah. That just happened. You know, like, Oh, I was objectified. Oh yeah. That just happened. You know, we're very like, I don't want to say casual, but we just accept it as this is our lived experience. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and it takes someone else to say, Hey, because you shared your story, now I feel normal. Like, I don't feel mm-hmm. like a freak of nature. Like I don't feel alone. And, and here's my story, you know? And I think you bringing up this, this young person's call for stories is so important because, you know, I feel like, especially in a year of pandemic, when we're so isolated and we, we don't really, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone's like, but there's Zoom and it, that's not the same, you know, it's, it, there's no opportunity for organic conversation for stories just to pop up because you happen to be in the same room for whatever reason. Um, And so I think this isolation has sort of not minimized, but I think we've lost the, the meaning and the importance of stories of getting together and sharing Um, because when people, I don't know about you, but when people are like, how are you doing? You know, how are you surviving or whatever? And everyone's kind of like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm surviving. I was like, no, no, no. I really want to know, like, what'd you do today? You know, like what happened today? Even though if it's the same thing that feels ordinary, I feel that um, it gives us humanity. Mm. Um, And I think that, I don't know about you, but I feel like this pandemic has, um, sort of skewed our, our connection with our humanity a little bit. Yeah, I feel that. And at the same time, like both and, of course, I, I feel at the same time that during this pandemic, because of Zoom and virtual events, I have been able to connect with a lot more people and communities than I normally would be able to Mm. just because I don't have to be somewhere physically Yeah. or, you know, my, I don't have to be running my kids out somewhere as much or, 
right. you know, I don't have to worry about who's going to be home during this evening event with my kids because I want to be, you know, downtown tonight. Right. So all of those logistics just kind of went away. And for yeah. me, it was like super freeing because I felt really bogged down by that of like, mm. I can't go to these events as much because life, you know, logistics. Right, right. right. Life with but a capital now L. I can just like show up yeah. and have a yeah. conversation with you on the East Coast, you know, right. squeezed well, into my, like, I blocked off an hour from work, but I'm still working, you know, like yeah. there's yeah. ways to like, kind of shift time and space I think yeah. too during the yeah. pandemic yeah I'm glad that you brought up the the and right because I feel like I've been also able to connect with people I normally wouldn't have because of geography mm-hmm. you know so that that speaks to something as well so it's just it's just been a very interesting experience we'll say in terms of pandemic but um but I, I just I just keep sort of circling back to like how we as human beings are being with each other um, in light of all the violence that's been happening in that, in this past year, you know, Mm -hmm. against, against non-white bodies um, and how, I don't know, I feel like, I don't know exactly what I'm like, how to articulate what I'm, what I'm thinking about, but the idea of our humanity seems to have been diminished because of our, but also magnified. So this is why I'm like in a living contradiction, right? Because I think about how, you know, um, while we're in this virtual space, you know, it's like, are you a real person? Can I touch you? You know, can I hug you? I can't hug you because of COVID. But then when we get together, even if it's in a distance, it feels like, oh, okay, that's you. That's your human, your physical being. So I feel like mentally, maybe that's just messing with us. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, you know, throwing things out there because I'm trying to process the, the effects that the pandemic has on us, right, as, as individuals, as humans, and then registering all the violence that has happened against non-white bodies you know yeah um and and i don't know if you have anything to to say about that but these these are just the thoughts where i'm at right now yeah i mean one thing that comes to mind too in light of the violence against specifically bodies that look like ours Mm. right asian women's bodies out in the world it's really interesting because like one of the feelings that I had was like relief at the privilege that I don't have to go out Mm. in the world as much. I'm working from home right now Yeah, and how I would be feeling a lot more fear and terror if I was again, riding the train to work and home every day and just navigating, just being out in the world. So in a way, like, um, yeah, I feel like I'm in this protected, protective bubble mm-hmm. where I don't have to go out. Um, so that's one thing that comes to mind. But yeah, I mean, I'm thinking it is like such a both and of like feeling isolated and it's harder to connect with people. But at the same time, there's a lot more opportunities to connect and share virtual space with each other. Um, 
Yeah. I guess, I guess it depends on, on intention and effort, right? Because I don't know, for me, it's like, if I don't love you, I don't want to make the effort to get on zoom with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so, I mean, there's that, but then I, I also think about, it's just kind of circling back to the Atlanta shootings. Um, you know, for me personally, the, the silences that I am aware of are particularly from white communities, right? And, and how, you know, after George Floyd, there was a huge response, right? Um, but then after this, the response, and I don't like to compare, of course, you know, everything, every situation is different, you know, it is what it is. But I, I noticed that and how quickly the narrative was co-opted by um, sex worker advocates, you know, before knowing any of the narratives of the women who were killed, there was already this assumption. Um, and then it became an erasure of their Asianness. And mm. so, and so I was noticing that, but then I was also noticing just from my own circles that there was silence from, um, from white folks and no one had reached out to say, Hey, are you okay? You know, this is terrible. How are you feeling about this? It, there wasn't even a check-in. So I was, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm noticing that. And that's interesting. And now I don't know if I'm noticing that because I don't have a community like you do of Asian American people. Um, you know, I feel, I feel isolated in that respect. I mean, I have friends, but we don't, ha there's no like organized community where we're gathering together and, and processing and, and decompressing or whatever we need to do. Uh, so, so for me, I thought that was, that was an interesting non-response. And I feel mm. that, you know, it's easier for white folks to look away because we're in this weird pandemic -y situation. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to share like sort of my, I don't want to say, yeah, I guess my perspective or my experience of what's been happening in the days after the Atlanta shootings. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's so real too. I think that for me, like I said, I'm like just kind of more inward focused. Yeah almost like as a protective measure mm. of like, I want to put my attention where I think it will, I don't know, thrive or something like that. Yeah. That I, I limit my social media, like to be honest, like a lot of social media, like it gives me a lot of anxiety. I use mm. it only for like posting my comics and, uh, doing some organizing, like yeah. making, you know, doing events. But other than that, I can go down this like real, for me, I'm just speaking for me personally, I can go mm -hmm. down this like whole, like rabbit hole, you know, yeah. and this whole yeah. like comparison thing and all that. So I think I just kind of shut off a lot of that. And so yeah. I am not privy to, for better or for worse, right, Leslie, I'm like, for better or for worse, I don't know what's going on with the silences and like some of the larger analyses and who's co-opting what. Like I'm kind of yeah. just like sealed off from that. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, may or may not, <laughs> it, it is what it is. 
Yeah. I mean, we're not going to put a label on, on anything because everyone's experience of, of life in general is whatever their experience is. Right. And our situations are our situations. Um, but it's just, it's just observations that I'm making, um, that I think are interesting, but it is again, like, what do we do as individuals in the larger scale of, of Mm -hmm. things, you know, like how do we, um, create change in ways that feel good for us and in ways that nourish us, you know, because you can be out protesting like, you know, day and night for social justice, but if it's draining you, it's not useful, you know, but if it's invigorating you and you, you feel like, yes, this is the thing, then, then do that, you know? So it really comes down to discerning, um, what actions one wants to take uh, when, when, you know, some things like this come up or any kind of change that we want to make in the world, it's, it yeah. all comes back to that question of who are you being and how are you being in the world? Yeah. I you know? think for me, it's like, um, it's the small everyday things that kind of nourish me. So, um, you know, I've been working with, with my, um, Asian American, uh, Writers Collective, Banyan Asian American Writers Collective. And we just, for the past like three years, we just show up once every, you know, every second Saturday to just write together. And sometimes Mm. there were just two of us, but it's just like a regular thing. And I think for me, it's like my, one of my guiding lights is something that I read in Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown where she talks about how, um, I wanna get this kind of right, Um, but it's like the inch wide, mile deep relationships versus the mile wide, inch deep relationships of like, you know, both are really important for community building and movement movement building. Of course you need like mass um, involvement, Mm -hmm. but also you really need the small, the small that goes deep. And I think for me, that's where my inclination always is, is to like, who are the like real touch points for me that I feel like really great in community with and that we can build things together and nurture each other and nurture things together. And that's what I'm feeling now as all of this is happening is because we had this small, deep kind of inch wide these deep but not so many relationships already there in place that it was you know we could hold space for a lot more people to come together I think yeah yeah that makes sense yeah it totally makes sense and I and I feel like that's that actually is so important for creating meaningful change or shifts is is the relationships because you know, how could you hold space for all these other people who didn't even know you guys existed, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you had that foundation of being able to hold the space, right? Because if it was just you and you're like, oh, hey, le- I know you across the street. Let me let me just call you over. Oh, look, here's another person. Let me call you over. And then it's a lot for one person to hold space for a bunch of new people in your life for something like this versus what I'm hearing is like a small group of you that have like deep ties and deep connections to then say, Hey, we're here. If you need 
us, you know, for support or whatever it is. Um, so I want to admit that I'm a little jealous of that, but <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to have to show me your ways, oh wise one, to, uh, <laughs> to creating <laughs> those kinds of communities. Because I live in a very white area. Um, and so it's, it's not, uh, not easy to find us. We'll say, yeah. I know there, I know we're out there. I just, I just gotta be like, send out my beacon signal or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of us here either. It's like, I think the schools are like 4% Asian American or something like that. I don't know. Mm. Don't quote me on that, but it's very small. And our yeah. students, our kids feel isolated, mm. but um, I don't know. I mean, I'll put it, you know, lots of other people also have these like small, you know, networks that, you know, I'm just learning and being, a, uh, connecting with their like deep roots too. So I think it's also like this idea of like, who's got their, you know, everybody's their got little, their little, little pockets. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, okay, so I'm really into mushrooms and mycelium right now. <laughs> you might've cool. seen my comics about yeah. it, but yeah. like this idea of like, you know, we're all just these little mushrooms above but beneath there's like this really amazing complex network underneath that feeds each other and communicates to each other. Um, So I don't know. I think it's just a matter of like finding another mushroom. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Then you just start to connect with what that mushroom knows. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I have to watch that, that, that film that you recommended. I still haven't gotten to it on the mushrooms, but um, so amazing. All right. So we will um, thank you so much for spending some time with me on just sort of processing what's gone on in Atlanta in the days after the weeks after um, and what it, what it's like for you to be, to be processing this. And, and, you know, because it, I feel like just to, harken back to that young person's, um, you know, comment of tell us your stories, you know, so that we can tell ours. And I think it's really important for us to do that. So I really appreciate you coming and just us having a conversation, even if, you know, in hindsight, it sounds like it's like random and mishmash. It's, mm-hmm. it's life, right? I mean, this is, yeah. this is how life works. It's not linear. Um, it happens as it, as it unfolds and it's all good. It's all good. So to close our episode, Miss Isabel, you have a poem you'd like to share with us. Yes. I asked permission. This is, this was written by my daughter, (gasps) my 15 year old daughter. Yes. I thought that if I stared hard enough, maybe the letters of my name on the yellow folded name tag sitting propped up at the edge of my new third grade desk would one day jumble up to magically spell Ava or Amy or Ariana or Anna. Their names spilled out like smooth honey, the diaphragm pushing air from the lungs into the voice box, the voice box using its vocal cords to vibrate. Their names ran out of mouths, past lips and into the air articulating an effortless pronunciation without hesitation. Amy Han, Amahan, Amahan, here, please, more emphasis on the me, and please shape your mouth smaller to create an uh sound. 
my name would leave their lips and the letters would come storming out of their mouths, each one violently blowing in the classroom until heavy rain poured down into a pool of water on the floor. They don't know that in Tagalog, my name means the Northeast monsoon, a seasonal shifting of winds that could bring great destruction to towns, but also create the slightest humid breeze on a summer night on the island of Sikihor. I guess I am a monsoon, not Allison or Amy or Ava. I am the gentle harvest wind, but also the loud and thundering north wind. Oh my God, she's amazing. Oh, I love, oh my God, I love that poem. I love that poem. Thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. And I can't tell her, thank you for giving permission. <laughs> because it's, it's a beautiful poem and I hope that she continues to write more poetry. Um, so Isabel, thank you so much for coming, uh, for chatting with me, for taking time out of your day to talk some important things. Um, and so for my listeners, we will close today's episode as we always do. The divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Healing trauma is different for everybody, but it's often overlooked when it comes to women of color. No one talks about healing from the insistent pain of racism and the perpetual trauma of having our nervous system under attack. So what does healing look like for us? And how can healing empower us to build resilience and thrive despite these oppressive circumstances? In my eight-week course, Heal to Power, I guide you through the challenges of healing from traumas, including the wounds of racism and sexism, in ways that work from the inside out. Step into your power now. Get on the wait list for when doors open again in May 2021. Go to suryagiancom slash heal to power waitlist for more info. Because you are worth healing. Your best life starts now.